Our uh, New Testament reading will be in Jude. And can I get somebody to run in the office and grab my notes? They're next to my computer. I knew something was wrong. Uh, We'll be reading most of the core of Jude once again. (coughs) As it is one continuous thought in Jude's mind and in his writing. We'll start at verse 3. Thank you, sweetie. Yes, that's even today's sermon. Uh, We'll start at verse 3 of Jude. Remember, last week we started looking at verses 11 through 13, and we only got through verse 11. I'm beginning to take after my mentor and preaching teacher, but we won't tell him that. Uh, We saw three examples given to us. The example of Cain, who hated God and hated God's children and murdered his brother because he was evil and he recognized his brother as being one of God's. Then we saw the heir of Balaam, who for profit led the people astray because that was the way to get money. And we saw Korah, who led a rebellion against God and against God's servants, Uh, intending to establish himself as leader. And these three were compared to the false prophets and false teachers of Jude's day. And so let us read Jude starting at verse 3. And then we'll pick up the interpretation of those three men and application of them. Uh, Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for this determination, condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny the only Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. In a like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding only themselves, Waterless clouds slept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, 
wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds of ungodliness and committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own shameful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Uh, Lord willing, this we will finish the condemnation section of Jude next week and move on to the call and encouragement for perseverance. But before we look at this section, verses 12 and 13, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, for the encouragements in it, for the joy of reading it, for the fear it raises in our hearts, for sin and for sinners, that, Lord, we would be faithful in contending for the faith, as Jude has called us to do. And pray, Lord, as we look at today's instruction, we would be mindful of why it is so important. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, having given us examples of Cain and Balaam and Korah, he now goes on to speak some more condemnation of the false teachers of his day. Remember, these were men, he said, were ungodly. They had crept in unnoticed. They were perverting the grace of God. These are not good men. These are false teachers and false prophets who follow their dreams and are corrupted and polluted by them and corrupt everybody around them. And that's what this section is really getting to, what these men are like in the church, what they are doing in the church. He says that they are hidden reefs at your love feast. Now note, they're, they're in the church and they're attending the love feasts. Love feast meaning not communion itself, but a communal meal eaten by the Christians as part of their worship service. Uh, the purpose furthering brotherly love and unity among God's people. Paul addresses this issue, I think, that Jude is alluding to here in his 1 Corinthians 11 passage where he talks about the Lord's Supper. Um, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen and following. Now in this I declare to you, I praise you not. Oh, somehow I copied the King James text here. That's why I'm confused. And ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partially believe it. For there must be divisions or heresies among you, so that those who are approved may be made manifest among you. When, we come together, when you come together, therefore, in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone takes before the other his own suffer, supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? But despise you the church of God and shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. 
So we see that it was a normal practice in the early church that they came together and they ate together. And Paul's saying when they're doing that, they're not really doing the Lord's Supper because they're not having the fellowship. They're turning themselves over to greed and to drunkenness and to, you know, despising those who had no, no money, no food. And these certain people were joining them in that love feast. And presumably, communion was part of that in the early church. And joining them in communion. Now, as I mentioned, he said these men are ungodly and condemned in verse 4. And here they are without fear, boldly involving themselves in the church and in in the love feast itself. Uh, Later in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11, he gives us that stern warning that we fence the table with. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then so that he may eat and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the Lord's body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Uh, The point being here, they had no fear of God, no fear of his wrath, no fear of his judgment. They were willing to take this love feast as an opportunity to feed themselves. And he alludes to that when he says shepherds who feed only themselves. And they were in it for the food, in it for the money. Balaam's error was not that he prophesied what God said, but because in order to get paid, he had to hurt the people of God, and he was willing to do that, to get the money. And these people, they have no shame. They have no fear of God. They eat this love feast. Now, like the Jews of the Exodus time, Jude mentions in verse 5 that the they had seen the power of God within the church, but they had no faith in him. And they hated God's people like Cain. They taught them to turn away from God like Balaam and set themselves up as a replacement for God's authority and the leaders God has appointed in his word, just like Korah did. And so he calls them hidden reefs at their love feast. Now, years ago, I went salmon fishing off the coast of Washington, And we're out there drifting along, fishing for salmon and for trying to get some grouper or something on the bottom. And I noticed there's a rock under the water right near us. And I'm like, hey, there's a rock. And the guy who's piloting the boat says, yes, I know. I see it. I'm looking out at the ocean. It all looks normal, but there's a rock hidden underneath. Because he knew the waters he didn't know the rock was there, but I mean, he he knew the waters and their behavior. He could look out and tell by the way the waves were rolling that there was a rock there. The waves were very small that day. And he knew. And this hidden hidden rock, hidden reef is what the word means, a hidden rock, really, under the water. Uh, if you were just driving, if I was just driving along not knowing any better, I could crash right into that thing but because he was intimately familiar with the way the waters worked and the way to pilot his boat, he could see them well in advance and go around them. The illusion here 
is to these people being like that hidden rock. If you're not aware, if you're not careful, if you don't know what's going on, you're going to wreck yourself on their teaching. These false teachers are looking to shipwreck your faith, and they can shipwreck it. Uh, Paul tells Timothy about that in 1 Timothy 1.19. Hold the faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. We need to be careful not to be one of those who makes a shipwreck of our faith. It reminds us just how critical it is to know the waters. By that I mean to know the Word, to know God through His Word, to be fed God's Word faithfully and repeatedly until we really understand it, till we really know it, till we can look out at the water and say, there's a rock under the water over there. There's another reef over here and steer around them. That's why Bible study and preaching are so important to the Christian to give us the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge not to be surprised by these hidden rocks, but to know what they are and recognize them for what they are. In other words, to recognize false teaching as false teaching and steer away from it. You know, we all, (coughs) I think, enjoy listening to sermons and instructions and teachings and reading books. And it's great that we do, but we should always read them with a, a discerning eye, seeking to understand and recognizing the ones that are not good and turning away before it's too late, before we get called up onto the reef and shipwreck our faith. He goes on to call them shepherds who feed only themselves. That was really the duty of the shepherd was to lead the sheep to green pastures and still waters. But we see Jude here is probably alluding to a prophecy in Ezekiel, and we're going to read that. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 7 to 9. And so you, son of man, oh, wait, did I skip the right one? Oh, I skipped ahead. Forgive me. That was later. Uh, For you, for they're like, pastor is supposed to be like a watchman. And the prophecy in Ezekiel 33 says, You son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Watch, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give it to them as a warning from me. And if I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hands. But if you warn the wicked to turn and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Now, this idea of being a watchman is what the pastor, what the minister, what the elder is supposed to be. And Paul talks about this in Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders. He had summoned them all. He's on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to be arrested. And in 26, he tells them, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is what Jude is addressing in his book 
And what he's telling us, the pastor is supposed to be the one who, who feeds the flock, who cares for them, who warns them against sin. And yet we see these people are perverting the grace of God into allowing for sin, in leading people to sin for their own profit. We see this is a common practice. Not only do they denounce the faith of faithful churches, but they tell them that God loves your sin and wants you to be happy in your sin. And they don't turn them from it because that can attract big crowds. Uh, yes, there are believing churches that have five and 10,000 people, but there are a lot of them that to get the five and 10,000 people to come, they tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And that's what Jude is fighting against. And that's what Paul is warning them against. No, shepherd the flock, declare the whole counsel of God to them, warn them of their sin and its consequences, or you will be accountable for their blood. But he says, these people, they don't feed the flock. They feed only themselves. And this is a problem that Moses had to rebellious Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He gives this instruction. He says, the whole commandment that I commanded you today, he's been renewing the law to them, the new generation. You shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you for these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know nor your fathers know, that he may, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but... Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know, the feeding of the sheep is not in food. The feeding of the sheep is not having a food pantry and giving to the poor. The feeding of the sheep is feeding them the word of God. And these people didn't feed them the word of God because they didn't like the word of God and they didn't like God. They fed them nonsense. They fed them junk food, which was not feeding them. And they fed themselves profit money off of God's sheep. And so these false teachers, he said, attend your love feast in order to shipwreck your faith, not to feed you God's word. I think that's how we can interpret what Jude is saying. God's word is really the antidote to what ails us. It's the only thing that can tell us the way of salvation. It's the only thing that can show us the way to please God and to enjoy God forever. The only thing that can tell us how to glorify God the only way we know right and wrong. That's why John told us in 1 John 4, verse 1, to not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And to this very day, false prophets are going out into the world saying, God has told me, God has shown me a vision. And they deny the Lord. And they deny the cross. Most of the popular false prophets today have gotten on the same prophecy. God showed them that Jesus didn't accomplish it on the cross. He went to hell and was tormented by the devil. And there he paid for our sins, thus denying the cross. And yet this is popular and people believe it. And this is what we're being warned. Tested against scripture. No. We read last time that Paul said, do not despise prophecies in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 to 22, but test everything. 
Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every evil. We need to be looking at these things and judging them. And the only way we can judge them is knowing the scriptures. Otherwise, we're just sailing in murky waters and we're going to crash into the reef. That's what he's warning us. And these men who want us to crash into their reef just looking for the money. Just looking to feed themselves. They don't feed anyone except their own pride. He also goes on then to call them waterless clouds swept along by the winds. If you've had a garden in this area, or you have fields where you keep animals, you understand what he's talking about here. Right? It's summer, it's hot, it's dry, the cistern is nearly dry, the, the garden is wilting, the crops are failing, the grass is all dead, there's nothing for your animals to eat. And you look up and you see dark clouds coming over the hills. And you're like, yes, it's going to rain. You think, oh, it's blowing in from the coast. We can fill the cistern. We can reduce the wildfire risk. Everything will be refreshed. The garden will perk up. The ground will be blessed and productive. It's good. The storms have come. But in this area, we all know exactly what happens next, right? Uh, Maybe you get a little bit of rain. And the dust in the air and the dust on your windshield turns to yuck and it's now filthy. And the lightning comes and a wildfire starts and the clouds that you had put your hope in do the opposite. They make things dirty, they make things dangerous, they hurt, they don't help. And you're saying that is what false teachers are like. They should be watering the fields, refreshing God's people, enlightening them, encouraging them in their faithfulness, preparing them to live a godly life in an ungodly world, instructing them in the way of the Lord so that they can carefully think of everything and know what to do. But instead, like these waterless clouds, they can't fulfill that purpose that God has given to teachers. They muddy the waters. They start off wildfires with their false teachings. They hurt the church of God. Moses says of his teaching in Deuteronomy 32, verses 2 and following, May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect. And all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. That's part of the song of Moses. But note what he's saying, that you know, it's like watering the grass, the true word, the instructions that he gives. This is what God wants of you. And he's saying that's exactly what these people don't have. They promise, come and hear what the Lord has to say to you today. And it's the things they have made up, the doctrines they have shared amongst each other that don't come from God and don't come from the Bible and can only lead to ruin. So they're like waterless clouds, a false hope. And people who give themselves up to that false hope and trust in them will be put to shame. And he goes on. He's on quite a roll here, isn't he? I love what Vody had to say about this passage in talking about People getting upset. Oh, but he's being, you know, he's being mean. No, the people who are leading you to death are the ones who are cruel. He's doing his job. 
He calls them fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. You know, the parable of Jesus we all remember from Luke 13, verses 9, or 6 through 9. Man plants a fig tree in his vineyard, comes seeking fruit and finds none, and he tells the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Now we can plant, plant something else there that'll be fruitful. And answered, sure, let it alone and I'll dig around it and put some manure. And if it should bear ne- fruit next year, good. But if not, cut it down. Now, a fruitless tree is of no use. John the Baptist said the axe is already at the root of the tree in Matthew three ten. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Now, some people think, oh, but I haven't borne any bad fruit that I consider bad. But are you bearing good fruit? A fruitless tree is what? Cut down, thrown in the fire. It's not producing good fruit. And in this, he's telling us their worthlessness. And the ministry of these men's worthlessness because they don't produce fruit for God. Good fruit would be fruit for the Lord. Uh, bad fruit is the fruit of evil, getting people into sin, getting them to turn away from God and worship the Baals. And that's what we're dealing with. You know, they want to be rich. They want to be influential. They want to have a large flock following them. They want all the things of their desires. You look at a lot of the mega churches today. Uh, I saw an ad on my phone showing the great church leaders' mansions and how awesome they are. Uh, It was one of those clickbait things, you don't want to touch it, but I was looking at the pictures of the different people as they popped up and the mansion behind them. Yeah, we know what they want. Jesus had no place to lay his head. They have mansions. They produce fruit for themselves to eat, feeding only themselves, fruit that is man-pleasing, but not God-pleasing. Unless he will root them out. They're called twice dead because they're dead for not producing any fruit. And they're dead because they'll be ripped out and thrown down and sent to the fires to burn. They promise to lead us to green pastures. They promise rain for a weary land. They promise the fruit of the Lord. But they don't give any of these things. Proverbs 25.14 says, Like clouds and wind without rain is the man who boasts of the gift he does not give. These men boast of a gift for the Lord. I will bring you to the Lord and you will know him and you'll have great prosperity in the Lord. And they give nothing but grief in the end. So he goes on. In verse 13, he shifts a little bit to say what, what, these, what will happen to these men. And he says, they are like the waves of the sea, casting up foam of their own shame. Now, if you've ever been to the ocean, when it's smooth and calm, it's beautiful, and you can look down and you can see what's down underneath. If you look at the islands in the Caribbean, where there's a whole bunch of them and it's shallow, you can see 20 feet down to the bottom, 10 feet down to the bottom, and beautiful and clear. But he's saying, no, they're like the waves, the frothing up of the sea. And what happens when that happens? you have a storm? You, know, you get the suds coming up on shore. Those suds today are often pollution, but ultimately they're just, they're organic matter. Dead animals that have rotted, dead plants that have rotted, 
and they form that sludge. And when the, the, the waves stir it up, you can't see it beforehand, but when they stir it up, it makes the bubbles. And you get that disgusting foam. I've been to the beach once where the, we had that, the wind was blowing and stirred up the foam. It's like you've got to walk through the foam to get to the water. And when you're coming out, the foam is all stuck to your legs. It's disgusting. It's gross. He's saying this is their shame. It's like that. All of their false words and their false prophecies and their strange teachings stir up the waters. They make it murky. They make it frothy. They produce that stuff. And that's not what we want. We want the word of God. But they're uncontrolled, wild, making this dirty, disgusting foam. Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 57, 20 and 21, The wicked are like the tossing sea. It cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up a mire and dirt. And there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Part of this lack of peace is from the wrath of God already being upon them as he's prepared judgment for them. And he's unhappy with their teachings. Their teachings, we read in verse 4, just defile people. They don't help people. They lead to the people indulging in the sins of the flesh. And because these people are of the flesh and their teaching is of the flesh. In Galatians, he says, Paul says, the works of the flesh are evident. And many of these Jude has alluded to, particularly in the beginning of his letter, verse 4 and 5. He says, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, Galatians 5, 19 and following, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, Paul is saying those are the works of the flesh. Jude is alluding to those as being what these false teachers are all about. False teachers leading people to the flesh, usually you know, with fine-sounding reasoning and arguments and encouraging messages and deliberate deception. Both sides know the place and know the division that is amongst us. Paul talks about that, he says, in 1 Corinthians 11 again, talking about the Lord's Supper. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. You know, the, the genuine people say, this, this is wrong. It's sin. And the false teachers and the false prophets and their followers say, oh, you hate. You're a hate monger. You're not one of us. And so there's a division. And sometimes that can be quite helpful because then people will leave and go look for the truth. And finally, he tells them they are little more than wandering stars. Now, we don't do it too much anymore, but in the old days, before we had a compass in our car, on my, wind, on my rear view mirror, people navigated by the stars. We learned as children how to find the North Star, and that was north. And it was north because 
the earth always spins around in the same way all around the earth, and it's so far away that it's always pretty much in the same direction. And it's useful. And other stars were useful because they were on the side, and as you went around the sun, they would become different, disappear, and then they would appear in a different part of the sky, and you knew what season it was. You knew when the planting was based on where the stars were. You could tell basically the month and the day. Well, maybe not the day exactly, but you, you could use them. They were useful and valuable. Now, a wandering star, it's not a shooting star. A wandering star is what they called the planets. And the planets, because we go around the sun and they go around the sun, their location in the sky continually changes. And in fact, you can actually watch when a planet is visible to the eye, you can watch it wander across the sky during the night. Uh, you can't use it for navigating because its place is dependent on the spinning of the earth and the spinning of that planet, and it's hard to figure out. And so they were useless for that. They don't tell you the season because depending on the year, they appear at a different point in time. And so they were useless for navigating. They were useless for determining anything. They were just bright, pretty. Uh, the planets are the ones that are often colored. When one of the big planets goes by, it's, a different, the, it's not a white star. It's a light, usually an orangish looking blob. And so they're different, they're bigger, they're brighter. People like them, just like they like false teachers. But what he's trying to inform us is they're useless for what's important. Press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling in Jesus Christ, Paul says in Philippians 3.14. They're useless for pressing on towards the goal because they're just wandering around up there. They don't help us. Their beliefs, their teachings, they're not of any use for the Christian to find his way. They're not of any use for the Christian to know God, to glorify God, to enjoy God. Uh, Peter has a section, and I want to read Peter's parallel passage in 2 Peter 2, 16 and following, because it is pretty clear and pretty important. So, oh, Starting at verse 17, they're waterless springs, mist driven by a storm. For them, the utter, utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those living in error. In other words, they entice the weak Christian to follow them and to turn from God with their loud boasts. They promise them freedom. Yes, you can be free, as we were discussing the other night, free from your anxieties, free particularly from your guilt. They promise them freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they've escaped the defilements of the word, the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse than the first. The more knowledge we have of God, the more serious our sin is. And if they knew God, saw his miracles, particularly in Jude's day, and saw the evidences, and yet they turned away from him back to the Baals, 
their situation is far worse. He says it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And that's where he says what the proverb says is true. The dog returns to its vomit. The sow after washing returns to wallow in the mire. The unbeliever, after experiencing the glories of God, turns back to his unbelief, turns back to his sin and corruption. He says, continuing on, that gloom and, uh, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for them. You know, they see themselves as guiding lights and stars, he's alluding to. Wandering, but he sa- Jude says, no, they're wandering stars and they're going to be put in utter darkness forever. In verse 4, he says, they were long ago destined for this condemnation. And he's talking about the angels in verse 6, Jude says, he's kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day of judgment. And that's what Jude is referring to here as well, that these people... They have a destination. Remember, we read, was it Psalm 73? I was envious of the wicked and towards the end until I went to the house of the Lord and I understood what is happening to them, what their destination is. And feel pity for them and call them to repentance, which we'll get to in the final section in a few weeks of Jude. But he said they're reserved for hell forever. Matthew 25 talks about this. I'll say to them on my left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Judah saying the angels being kept in prison in utter darkness is reserved for them. And they will go away to eternal punishment. It's a serious matter. And it really reminds us of the importance of knowing God and knowing his word. If we follow these false teachers to the end, only eternal darkness waits us, eternal condemnation, judgment. We should not be led by them or by the spirit of their spirit or by the spirit of man. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the way we're led by the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit brings to mind the things that we know from God's word and helps us to see what is true and what is right and turn away from these people. You know, spot the hidden reefs by knowing the waters. The waters being the word of God. So it's a serious matter. I know some people get very discouraged. Oh, Jude is so harsh. But it's not Jude. It's the Holy Spirit who's speaking through Jude. And the Holy Spirit is being very firm and very strong Because God is a holy God and a just God. And he does not like sin. And the people who live their lives in sin and make up excuses and follow false teachings because they want to be happy and enjoy the pleasures of the flesh, the pleasures of this world, they face this condemnation. And as we'll see in the final final section of this book, you know, snatch those people from the fire. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for putting it firmly, to putting it strongly. As we are sometimes tempted to turn to sin, 
because we do not see sin the way we should. So also we are sometimes tempted to turn to populist teachers and teachings because we do not see your word correctly. We do not understand, and we pray that you would give us the diligence we need and the faithfulness we need to really seek to know you from your word, that we might know when the things we're being told are things that will lead us onto the reef, things that will lead us to darkness, to condemnation. We ask for your mercies in Jesus' name. Amen.